Hi everyone, this is Jelena from Amazonia BPC and today with me I have a very special guest, uh, Mrs. Orion Avidan from Retail Adventure. She is an inventory balancing expert with 10 years of experience. Orion, welcome to my uh, podcast and thank you for being here. Thank you, Elena, for having me here. It's a great pleasure. Uh, mine as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, how you started, and what is it that you actually love about inventory balancing? Yeah, well, I started very, like um, in the very common way through academia. I studied industrial engineering and management. Uh, I've got my MBA. And about 10 years ago, I started getting sucked into the world of theory of constraints, which from my point of view is manage, management by logic. It's not just management, but it's a lot of logic work, making things make sense. And a lot of things you learn when you go to business school are, this is how it is, and that's it. And I really like the logic work in theory of constraints. And then I realized they were talking a lot about inventory in production, in retail, and being a retail lover myself, I'm a great believer in retail therapy, uh, but I am uh, strange in my size and my taste, so I rarely find what I really want. I was like, oh, this is good stuff. If I can go into the shop, and you can go into the shop, and everybody can go into the shop, and find exactly what they want and have this great shopping experience. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, the shops will have a really good business and there won't be any more talk about retailer, magazine or stuff because that doesn't make any sense. Shopping is not going to go away. And as much as e-commerce is amazing, and it is amazing, it's not going to replace all shopping everywhere. So the problem is not where everybody is looking from my point of view. There is a place for shopping malls and there is a real place for shops on the streets and the shopping experience. And there is a place for e-commerce and the e-commerce experience. And the instability, the problem that shops and retailers have with money mm -hmm. isn't because of this kind of fight between the platforms it's somewhere else and when i was looking at it i was like wow i have to do this interesting uh what are the main problems that you see uh sellers face with inventory I, i'm guessing your implication with the problems between you know these retail brands and retail brands that they're facing on offline and online environment is the inventory management. So what are some of the main issues that they see and main mistakes you've seen repeat over and over again? So inventory problems come in two flavors and they usually come together. You either have too much of stuff or you have too little of stuff or not enough. And it basically goes like this. The good stuff sells out faster than you expected. So fast runners are stocked out and you cannot sell them anymore. And the it's not the bad stuff. It's the stuff that is not doing what you expected out of it and running slower than you expected gets stuck. There is a mismatch between our supply 
and the demand we see in the market. And it's in time and it's in quantity and it's in value. So we bring in a certain variety. We buy ahead of time and we bring it in and some of it runs out of stock. If we are fast enough, we can increase the price on it to scheme out more value from it for the business. And if then still it's still valuable to the customers, it's okay. The problem, the big problem sellers see is with the items that are priced above the value customers give them. And those just don't sell. And eventually they go into sale mode. And we have the sale months of November when we go from one selling holiday to the next. Uh, in Israel, we have shopping IL, and then you have the Chinese 11-11, uh, and then you have Black Friday, and you have Cyber Monday. And all of these are man-made dates right. to tell people, get your shopping juices up because we're going to reduce our profits. We're going to reduce our margins for you because basically we pushed our margins up too high just so that we can take it down low. We are actively teaching the market to be more and more price sensitive. But there are some items that never reach sales. Do you know why? Because they sold out ages ago and we don't have them and we understand there is no reason to sell them at a reduced margin because they sell well at full price. And the reason they sell well at full price is because they give real value to the purchaser, to the customers at full price. There is something about them, whatever it is, color, size, uh, brand, that satisfies their need and they do not need us to reduce the price. They are getting enough value at full price. Interesting. Um, how do you how do you know when a price is too much and when a price is too low? Well, the, the market tells you if it sells at a good enough pace, um, at a current price, you just test. What happens if you bring up the price a little bit? Does it still sell until you? You slowly bring it up until it stops selling. And then you say, this is the price point. This is the sweet spot. And it depends on strategy and it depends on supply. If you can supply all amounts, then you can at a reasonable price. Then you can price lower and still make a profit. Where do you want your brand to be? Where do you want your uh, supply to be? It's a give and take, but if something is selling very, very well, you can usually increase the price a bit, especially if you're very, if you have been very, very price uh, conservative, if you've been pricing lower to try and drive sales. If the sales are high volume, high volume, start picking up the price, see where the volume tapers off and figure out where you want to be there. I'm not an expert on price elasticity, but there are people who can just look at your numbers and give you that number. 
that uh, equation and you figure out where you want to be on that. It's a lot to do about branding. How do you know a price is too high? People aren't buying. 100% correct. So in the cases when you have excess inventory, what's the best way to handle it or handle that kind of situation? Ooh, that's a great question because not all excess inventory is the same. You can have uh, actually nine different types of excess inventory. Uh, and um, I'll share with you in the resources you can share out afterwards the matrix that shows them. It depends on how much excess you have for the item and what type of item there that is. If it's a uh, a good seller, a top seller, a medium seller, uh, and or a bottom seller. So does it belong with the 25% of top sellers, the 50% of the middle, or the 25% of the slowest sellers? Mm -hmm. Now, how much inventory do you have? Do you have an excess that is just for short-term excess, middle-term excess, or long-term excess? All of this changes the way we look at the inventory but basically if it's a good seller it's just sit down and just continue working as normal track it manage it maybe give it a little shove uh, i would not reduce prices might spend a little bit more on marketing on ppc on uh, um I don't know, influencers or something to get some more drive to people, driving people to the items, but those are good sellers, they will sell out. Middle sellers, this is where I say, be a bit flexible with the price, but try to do, um, I call it piggyback marketing. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a reduction on this uh, excess inventory unit if you buy that excess inventory unit uh, from the best sellers. Right. So buy a best seller at full price, get a medium seller uh, upsell with a good discount. Mm -hmm. Not too much, about 15 to 20% at most. I don't think you need more than that. Again, depending on where that item is on your demand curve. If you go and have a lot of excess in the slow sellers, which is where usually people have a lot of excess inventory, sometimes you have a lot of excess inventory when you're looking at how long will it take to sell this inventory. But if you look, it's less than a box. It's a few units, mm -hmm. but they're not gonna sell. Mm -hmm. Totally different way of looking at it. Here, I would like you to start thinking of what can you do to make this move now? fast and furious and eventually just cut your losses how can you make some kind of value out of this inventory even if it's not monetary even if it's just a big campaign about donations mm -hmm. get something out of it cut your losses because it's costing you money and it's taking away your attention as a manager and it's not making money Interesting. So when we have a completely opposite situation, when you stock out, like many of the sellers right now are facing this situation, what's the best way to handle that? <laughs> well, there is the best way and there is what are we going to do now because we have coronavirus and right. the world is in crisis mode. 
I'll start with the coronavirus. Uh, and I will say um, there is a phrase that I really, really like. It says that a crisis is too um, precious to be put to waste. Mm-hmm. So yes, there is a crisis right now. And it means that sometimes it's harder to get um, source. Your usual sources cannot supply your your um, uh, units. Uh, supply times are longer. Things are not quite clear. Demand has also shifted a bit, but it's just a bit. Mm-hmm. And this will work itself out pretty quickly. Uh, I know there's talk about how coronavirus is going to keep impacting the world for at least six months. The business world is not going to wait that long. Businesses are going to start getting back online faster. What I would like you to do if you're facing this crisis effect is to think about how are you going to manage differently on the day after, because there will be another crisis. There will be another epidemic. I mean, this is not my first ride in the rodeo. I've been through SARS. I've been through swine flu. Um, I was working as a a hired uh, engineer in a factory when 9-11 occurred and the world stopped completely. No going in, no going out. People were stuck everywhere all over the world. And eventually, two, three weeks later, everything came back to normal mm-hmm. for most of us. So the question is, okay, what can we learn for the future? And remember, you cannot plan your inventory for this outlayer event. You right. don't know when it will happen, how strongly it will happen. So if you put your money on protection for such a surprise, you're just going to waste it and run out of money. The idea is to start thinking about business processes and risk mitigation in a different way. So if right now you're only sourcing from China, once this is over and you can recover, start thinking about how can you source a backup source that is not in China, even better, that is much closer to home, No, maybe even in your country. And don't look for a cheap competitor to China. This is a backup source. It could be much more expensive because in a case of emergency, keeping your business running is much more important than keeping your prices low. And on the other hand, on the regular day-to-day basis, stock outs are something that you should never get into. It's not something that you should resolve. It's something that you need to prevent by managing your inventory flow. And the only way I know how to do it is by moving away from big orders that are set up months in advance to smaller frequent orders that are flowing in and allow you to adjust and change. Even if your lead time is long, just by creating this flow and reducing the the size of decisions you need to make and making them more frequent, you will create a situation that is much more stable and reduce your risk of uh, stockouts. Because if 
I ordered my best runner now uh, to be supplied three months down the line. And I made a huge big order because I wanted to last for another four months after that. And eventually I ran out of it ahead of time. And I contact my supplier and I say, listen, I need to expedite. Maybe he can and maybe he can't. But if I do, let's say, an order every other week, and my best runner will probably be in 90, 95% of those orders. And something happens and demand spikes and I ran out. I can call my supplier and see if he can expedite. I can call uh, the quality assurance warehouse in China and see maybe we can shift one shipment from sea to air freight. I can call the freight company and see if I can move to a faster route or a faster ship at cost, of course. But I have so many other options, other touch points where I can intervene and see what can be done. Do you have any recommendations for some of the countries that might be good um, sourcing points for sellers outside of China that don't not necessarily have to be that technically developed but still be good reliable sources everywhere <laughs> best thing from my point of view is to source inside your country mm -hmm. or uh, if you're in europe inside europe somewhere where you don't have to uh where the shipping is less than a week up to a week's time shipping in truck for example is really much easier to handle than three weeks or three months in uh, shipping on sea. So it's not a country because from my point of view, it's it doesn't really matter if it's the cheapest option or not. Sometimes buying cheaper ends up being costlier and losing you money. How does that what happen? I want you to what what I want you to do when you're sourcing is look for flexibility. Mm -hmm. um, you, I can show you a, a little exam, mathematical example of how buying smaller and a more expensive ends up being more profitable. Yes, for sure. Let's see that. So let's let me just share this quickly. So can you see my presentation? Yes. So this is a very simple mathematical example. It's not a real life example. I uh, put it together, but it's pretty close to what you can find in real life. And it's two options to purchase the same type of item. You can do a $5 per unit purchase, and then the minimum order quantity will be 100 or you can order much more, a thousand and pay $3 per unit. And as you can see, it's much cheaper to buy at a thousand units. And uh, this is a totally deterministic market. I know the lead times, I know the selling price, I know how many units per day uh, there is demand, I know how many days I can sell it. It's a very seasonal item, I can sell it only for the next 45 days. And so two sellers made the decisions. One went with the smaller amount 
and decided to buy 400 units at $5 a piece, paying $2,000. The other seller said, oh no, $5 a piece is too much. I'll buy 1,000 units at $3 a piece and ended up paying 3,000. Because of the difference in supply time, the first seller managed to sell 400 units. The second seller sold only 350. And eventually, uh, the first seller made a profit of $2,000, and the second seller only $500. And if you look at the effective price per unit sold, you will see that the first seller still paid $5 for each unit that was sold, but the second seller, because he sold less units, actually paid $8.5 per unit. And in this case, it actually made more sense to buy the more expensive units. What if they sell the same amount of uh, items? What happens then? Uh, at 400? Mm -hmm. um, still, so the right. first seller paid 3,000 for his units and uh, therefore, he will be left with a thousand dollars profit instead of the two thousand dollar profit. There is a break even here. There are scenarios where, of course, it makes more sense to buy the bigger amount. Um, if both of them sell a thousand units and they buy everything in advance, it doesn't make sense. But uh, from a cash flow point of view, even if you know you're going to sell a thousand units, it sometimes actually makes sense to buy them at the smaller amounts because you are committing less money into your inventory at each point of time. And it's the difference between a huge, huge um, air carrier and a little speedboat where you can pivot very, very fast if something happens. So, um there is a huge balance between there's a balance between profitability and it, the economy of scale but knowing your business really well would mean where knowing where you're at in terms of uh the between these two scenarios basically and that being said yes. it might make more sense to order bigger quantities and then uh get a better price only if you have a guaranteed sales velocity that will sell out fast so that you don't get stuck with, um, for example, FBA fees and stuff like that. So what are the main causes of, uh, what are the main causes of losing profitability when, when you have bigger amounts of inventory? Well, when you have bigger amounts of inventory, um, let me just try and shut this down. Uh, here. When you start, when you look, when you stock a lot of inventory, you lock up a lot of money in it and inventory needs to be taken care of. There are storage fees, some of it may become obsolete, some of it may be, maybe break down, but get lost, etc., etc. It's just harder to control. And um, we can manage, a, and it's a business process thing. If you know you want to run small and lean, you can actually develop your business processes to get the economies of scale with less inventory 
by communicating with your suppliers about your your economies of scale over time. Right. You don't have to just commit. We're used to talking about the economies of scales of a transaction, but we we do business over time. So if we raise this issue and try to look at economies of scale over time, you'll find you get a lot of cooperation. So tell your supplier, I don't want to buy 10,000 units at once. I want to buy them over six months. Can we do that? And we can find, and a lot of times, just by bringing this up and presenting the idea that you are open to ideas, a solution, a resolution will come up. Mm -hmm. So that being said, it's super important to analyze your price per unit sold uh, in order to understand which is the best approach for inventory management. You should focus on the cash flow and getting that control and flexibility at the same time if possible. That will be what some of the non-financial goals of um, running your inventory management, but at the, at the same time, they have very, very big influence on how you how good you'll actually be at the end of the month, basically. Yes, F cost of, uh, of units sold is a problematic um, parameter because you need to know how many units you sold. Mm -hmm. And we usually know that only in retrospect. Right. Right. So we can do an assessment. Uh, usually marketing people uh, know how much demand they're expecting for different items. They can speculate how many units they are thinking they could realistically sell. So looking at how much is it going to cost me per unit realistically instead of per the units I buy because we're tempted a lot of times to buy units we don't need because we might need them we can sell them later on mm -hmm. we don't want to stock out so do the i would recommend starting by doing the retrospective analysis look a year or a quarter back in time and see where you stand and assume this is going to be your standard moving forward and see if I knew this before I made that purchase, would I make different decisions on purchasing and have that lead you in your next purchasing event? Any tips of, uh, for newbie sellers, for people who don't have that kind of historical data to rely on? Well, there is data in the market about similar products other products in your niche uh, and the other thing is to just start small learn to walk before you start running exactly um okay you touched base on uh, when you spoke about coronavirus so what are some of the ways that sellers can deal with uh the sudden situation of running out of stock and what is, what is your final, some of your final advice uh, for dealing with this kind of situation, except from learning from it? What is something that they can actually do right now to help their business that's struggling currently? Okay, so of course, if you can try to source from a different source, even if it's a bit costlier or a lot costlier. Other thing is if you haven't run out of an SKU yet, 
but you are thinking you might. Do an analysis. How long do you think you have with this SKU at the current demand? What are you doing to generate this demand? Can you pull back? If you're putting money into generating demand for an item that will stock out before you can restock it, it actually makes sense to stop spending that money and let the item slow down mm -hmm. and uh, because you are currently wasting money on your uh, marketing efforts. You're creating demand that would come in anyway, but you're paying for that. If you have other items that are not, that are higher in stock, this is a good time to get that stock, that overstock flowing out. The market is more forgiving right now. Your competition is in the same boat as you. So this is a good time to do something that I really don't like, and that is forcing your market to buy alternative items that you have in stock. It's not a time to start doing price reductions on that excess stock. Just try to flush it out, move the attention to it, and um, try to pace out your best sellers so that they don't stock out as fast because the algorithms that we use in Google and Facebook and Amazon basically have no memory. They build their database when you start them, and as soon as you shut them down, they forget everything and they have to build it again the next time you run them for that item or for that uh, shop. So you need to stretch out over time what you have right now and shift the attention to the less, to the, to the slower items to get them moving and keeping your uh, business alive. Interesting points. That's, uh, that's the, some kind of uh, damage control, but when it comes to the supplier side, what kind of damage control can someone do for their business right now? Something like, like a fast solution that will prevent them from stockouts. Any advice? Uh, it, it, it's so business specific that I cannot give you one tip that will right. fit everybody. Some people have very uh, unique items, maybe handmade items, uh, and finding a, a replacement supplier for those doesn't make any sense at all. Right. Other people have very uh, regular, not regular items, they have uh, items that are very simple to source elsewhere, so sourcing is a good idea. Um, if you are going to find an alternative source right now, try to make it a very temporary source. They're gonna suck the blood out of you. It's their chance to get really good pricing. So think ahead and try to think, this is going to be a one-time, two-time deal, and then I'm gonna pull back on them if they're good, I'll come back later, but you need to improve your negotiating stance with them. You can't, you don't want to keep on the terms of coronavirus deal. Exactly, exactly. Tough times. 
I, I, I really like the open card kind of uh, mentality. I would go to the supplier and say, I understand this is the coronavirus kind of terms. That's okay. Mm-hmm. If you're good and I want to continue working with you, you're going to give me better terms after that. Because we're open and we understand this. Exactly. But be, be, be aware that you are going into a deal from a point of disadvantage and manage it. Don't get emotional about it. Right. That's 100% true. Orian, um, thank you for being my guest on the podcast today and sharing all these wonderful tips. Um, if anyone wants to reach you, I will put a link in the description of the video. Great, thank you very much. And as I said, I will give you, I will send you some uh, links to my giveaways. I have a tool for handling uh, excess stock, realizing where your excess stock is and what my recommendations are then, and a tool for shortages and where they are in the system and what you do about them. And uh, they are free to use and I hope they help everybody. Brilliant. I'm sure a lot of people will find them useful, so we'll make sure to add them to the video description. Great. Thank you very much. I enjoyed the, the, our talk very much. Me too.